Nicely done, beef. No matter how you're cooked. Grilled, sauteed, stir-fried, roasted, or stewed. Your savory sounds are music to everyone's ears. Yeah, now that's a dinner playlist. Good cooking at Beef. It's what's for dinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Well, welcome to Sunday Coffee. And man, does it taste great this morning. Bulldogs win it last night 26 22 over Texas AM, the Fighting Aggies. And we're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startwell. Back at it again, Charlie. First thing in the morning. Feels like we just finished up the post game show last night. We got a little bit, uh, well, I did. I always am a little bit over the top on big wins. And I, I didn't feel like I was too over the top last night, but it probably took some shots I may not have, sh- have taken. Well, I'd just like to start by congratulating Vanderbilt on their big win over <laughs> Connecticut last night, that big field goal. Shout out to all my Vandy followers this morning. Boy, you think back about all the things that come out of this game. There's a couple of storylines that keeps keep bouncing around in my head. Number one, how great is it to see Will Rogers really take a step forward? Number two, the receivers, the step forward they took. Three, your offensive line. Four, your defense making some big plays when they had to. And then the thing I just kept thinking about all night long was, boy, I'd be really upset if I were an Aggie today. Yeah, I'd love to hear their version of this show this morning, you know, taking a look back at last night's game and kind of what the thoughts are over in Aggie land. You know, I, I read an article that was written back in uh, in August by one of their beat writers talking about, hey, this is the year. This is the year that we have built, and Texas is just a speck in the rearview mirror of Texas A&M. So last night, Charlie, looking from our side, Will Rogers, 46 of 59, 408 yards. The thing that we've been able to take is, you know, stats don't tell you just a whole lot because we can we can drive up some stats in a hurry. But last night, there were some impressive stats. We only ran for 30 yards last night, but we threw for 408, and we had some big pass plays last night. Will Rogers completed nine balls in that area between 10 and 20 yards downfield, that average depth of target. That's where he targeted. We targeted 14 times down the field last night. He was 9 of 14. Had two drops, by the way, in there as well. People keep saying, man, when are we going to open up the offense? When are we going to start going down the field more? Last night, there were opportunities down the field, and we took advantage of those chances down the field. And not only do we take advantage of the chances downfield, we exploited the shorter passes yesterday. Our receivers did a good job of making catches, getting blocks, and then getting upfield. 252 yards after the catch for us last night. How much of that do you think, just a quick observation and looking at it, I really haven't had a chance to go back and watch the game again. I felt like last night that our wide receivers blocked better than they have all season long. You know who your highest graded blocker yesterday was? Austin Williams. Really? He had six blocks, and he is your highest graded. And so you think about some of those screens, and you say, how does Tulu get yards after the catch? He ends up with a long catch at 23, where his depth of target was short. Got a block. And it goes back to there's so many things that are hidden within a football game that make the difference. We'll talk about some of Austin Williams' catches that were important. But how about that? Sometimes, and I know, look, if you go into the receiver room with Steve Spurrier and you want to talk about blocking, 
at the wide out position, that's not going to be a big thing with him or Dave Nickel. That that is a difference maker though when you get down to it. How about Makai Polt last night? Thirteen catches, one hundred twenty six yards. Targeted eighteen times, he made thirteen catches, so a seventy two percent catch percentage. A long of twenty, couple touchdowns. We talked about this last night on the post game show. I thought Mike Elko, what he did defensively last night, this would be one of the things I'd be talking about if I'm an A&M guy this morning. It was almost like I cannot be patient at all. I cannot keep Mississippi State in front of me in a zone. I am going to have to show them I'm going to go man. I am going to go man. And it was almost like a light switch flipped every single time that A&M went man in the game last night. Because when they went man, we went over the top. We did, and the other thing we did is I thought we were patient and we took advantage of opportunities against the zone. I thought we did a very good job of reading coverages last night. When we got man coverage, we took our shots. When we didn't, we took what they gave us. I thought it was a very good job of understanding what A&M was doing to us and then reacting accordingly. Okay, one of the things, when you look at the stat sheet, that just kind of knocks me off my feet a little bit. Okay, Makai Polk caught the most passes last night, 13. Okay, let's take out Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson. Jaquavius had seven catches. Dylan Johnson had six. Who caught the second most amount of balls? <laughs> Christian Ford. Well, Austin Williams had four as well. Christian <laughs> Ford had four catches, former walk-on, or the walk-on. Four balls last night, 40 yards. Austin Williams, four catches, 38 yards. You talk about mixing things up. You know, Jaden Wiley only had three catches last night. Malik Heath had three catches. Jameer Calvin had three catches. Tulu, once again, three catches. Tulu made that big play, as you said a moment ago, kind of getting downfield after the catch. But nine receivers used in the game last night. And how about Christian Ford? He caught two balls against LSU. He catches four last night, and all four were big. We talk about sharing the football. How about your big plays on offense? Five different guys with catches that went over 20 yards. Yeah, we had five plays last night that went over 20 yards, and all five were by a different guy, a different wide receiver. That's crazy. And what it shows, too, is you don't have a quarterback who's locked in on one guy. Sometimes it's real easy at his quarterback to say, I'm locked in here or there. I know Polk had the bulk of the catches, but we were sharing the football last night. All right, let's look back at our 3-2-1 from that Tracks Plus deep dig on Friday. First of all, we are in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starkville. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. The customer service is fantastic. That's why we use Farm Bureau, go with the home team. All right, Charlie, a look back at our Tracks Plus deep dig on Friday. We had three numbers. We had two players we, we won't worry about the coaches today. But the three numbers that we had from the Friday, you go first. Just kind of look at those numbers. All right. So I'll take a look at my three numbers, and, and my three were these. I, my first number was two, and that is the number of completions that I thought we needed to limit the A&M tight end Weidermeyer to having. He had not been terribly involved in the offense recently after being very involved early, and we both talked about how it just screamed – that they were going to try to get him involved. They did. They threw a touchdown pass. Their first touchdown was a completion to him in the back corner of the end zone. That was one, but only one more the rest of the ball game. And there were several times they tried to get it to him, but we had it covered well. They were trying to get it to him over the middle, and then they were having to check down and take a lesser route. So we said limit them to two completions to Weidermeyer. That's what we did. Check 
That's a plus in the column for us. The second thing we said we had to do was we needed one-eleventh of our plays to be explosive plays. And we talked about how you can argue about what's explosive or not. Even under the most conservative view of the 20 yards on a pass, 10 yards or more on a run, we meet that. 76 offensive plays, seven of them would qualify as big plays. I'd also, to be honest with you, there was a 15-yard completion for a touchdown. I'd add that, but you don't have to. We go a little better than 9%, which is the target we were looking for. So another check for us on that one. Then zero. This is one I'm, I'm not willing to concede. All right. <laughs> so here's what I said. I said we can't have A&M have long-range touchdowns. And we went into how LSU had bombed away from 40 and 41, and we had given up these long-distance touchdowns. Somewhere along the way, I made the comment, can't have them scoring outside the red zone. They got the 25-yard scramble from the quarterback. It was kind of a garbage touchdown. I, that doesn't have – okay, technically, I'll take the loss. We didn't get there, but – But that surprised everybody in the stadium, including the 11 guys we had on defense. I think we had linebackers looking at their buddies and say, hey, turn around, that dude's running. It wasn't the big, long, no, truly was, explosive, explosive play. It was a fluke. That That's one of those – If they ran that 10 times. That's the only time they score just because it caught everybody by surprise. You know, and that's the thing, Charlie, is we look back at, you know, last week our numbers didn't mean a whole lot. I mean, we hit on some numbers, and they really didn't become a big factor in the game. And I thought about yours last night and how big they became in the game, and I looked at mine too, and it's crazy. Your when first you, one is the number to me. Spiller with a four yards of carry. Yeah, this is on first down. On first down. This, to me, defines the football game, and I'll let you explain it. Well, Spiller, Isaiah Spiller, I mean, he is their go-to guy, of course, and we saw this last night. I mean, he's a guy who can break tackles. I thought coming into the game that Spiller was the first time this year we're going to see a legitimate back. I thought LSU ran tight. I didn't think their their guys were that explosive as a running back. I didn't think NC State, I thought they were kind of slow, but they broke tackles. Last night was the first time we saw a back that when he pops that hole, he can kill you. And what I said was, is limiting Isaiah Spiller to four yards per run on first down. And that's the thing that Arkansas did last week. He had six carries for 21 yards last week against Arkansas. So looking back at the game last night, he ran it 10 times on first down. 10 times. Three, we hit him for a loss, but he averaged three yards a carry. He had 30 yards rushing on first down last night on 10 carries. We kept them in passing situations. That's what we were able to do. Now, he ran for one for eight, one for nine maybe, but that's it. We did such a great job last night on first down limiting Isaiah Spiller. I said four yards a carry. We kept him to three. That was huge. It's such a difference to be able to run your offense second down and six instead of second down eight and nine. And I thought keeping him at that average of three was – I thought really that was the story of the game, our defense on first down. Right, and I also said we needed three offensive touchdowns. We had three offensive touchdowns. And needed them. Needed all three of them. I mean, we talked about, hey, this is not a team that can win just a, a slugfest 17-16. I mean, that's just not who we are. From, from a defensive standpoint or an offensive standpoint, we needed three offensive touchdowns. I thought Will Rogers last night. I thought the out route in the end zone – just a beeline to Jaden Wally. 
the two touchdown passes to Makai Polk. And I do want to clarify, like I have said on Twitter last night, I am not a fan of the fade route on third down. But we threw a first down fade route into the back corner of the end zone to Makai Polk, and it was perfectly thrown. I'm not against the fade route entirely. I still don't like it, especially on first down. I just don't like it on third down. And so we got the touchdown to Polk. Then we you know, come back. We go over the top when they go man-to-man. So we get three offensive touchdowns in the game. And my third number was we could not give up more than one turnover, and we didn't have any last night. I thought that was huge. We didn't have a turnover against NC State. We didn't have a turnover against Texas A&M. And it's very crazy when you look at the numbers and the similarities between those two games about NC State and A&M last night. You look back at the NC State game, we went down the field more between 10 and 20 yards. We were 8 of 15 in that game. We were 9 for 14 last night, as we talked about, with two drops in that 10 to 20 range. There were so many similarities between NC State and Texas A&M. The biggest to me was no turnovers last night. We didn't have a turnover to let the crowd really take control in that game. Yes, that's a look back at our our numbers there that we were looking at. So Mississippi State gave us five of the six we were looking for, and I'm going to give us five and a half. I want to make a brief note because we also profile two players each Friday. Each of us do, so four total. I had profiled the right guard, Layden Robinson, a sophomore guard for Texas A&M. He's been out with injury. He was coming back. He had his worst game of probably his career, certainly his worst game in his three appearances this season. And there's really one that defines it. There is one play that defines the game for him, and that's the safety at the end of the game. We get back, we get the safety, and, you know, it's going to go in the books as a Nathan Pickering safety, and it should. He, he got back there. But Matt Wyatt tweeted right after the ball game a clip, and he was exactly right. The thing that made that play work was Tyrus Wheat because Tyrus Wheat came in and he attacked Robinson. Robinson was backing up. Man, just bull rushed him. Just knocked him down. Threw him down like a rag doll. Back into the corner. That's what made Calzada kind of flush to his right just a little bit. It is, it's amazing. It's almost like you can you can dream up how Zach Arnett comes up with that play. You know, I don't know what the defensive call was. But it was one of those like you're in, you're in the sand. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to bull rush the guard, and then I want you to do a spin move when he kicks him out to the left side. And it was almost like you draw it up. I mean, it was so crazy how Wheat just came right at the guard. And it's almost like they targeted him. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just an accident that that happened to be who he was going after. And so it's not very often that we say, hey, let's look at an offensive lineman. This guy might matter. And then you have arguably the biggest play of the game. He mattered. Uh, the other guy that I picked was Anaya Smith, the wide receiver for A&M, talking about that we really needed to limit him. He was another guy kind of in the same vein as the tight end Weidermeyer that we thought they would want to get involved. He had had eight catches week one, then three. But then he was down to two and two. They tried to target him yesterday, but in eight targets, just five catches for 30 yards. We also talked about that he's a guy that they'll give the football to, they hand it to him to try to get him involved. One carry, three yards that way. So Mississippi State did a great job controlling him. And the two guys that I had, one was Antonio Johnson, the nickel back for Texas A&M, and he had been so good coming in. He was our highest graded 
player on the defensive side. And one of the things that made him so good as a nickelback is he was so good in coverage. You know, teams that only completed 10 of 19 targets against him all year. Last night, our receivers targeted him 10 times. You know how many catches we had against him? 10. Oh. We were 10 for 10 last night. He had only given up 30 yards all year on the yeah. 10 catches. So he was like, what, 10 of 19 coming in? 10 of 19, he given up plays of, 10 of, 10 of 30. 10 of 10 yesterday, 58 yards. So he got the ball in the middle of the field. Here's the thing that's kind of interesting about him, though, in that game last night is where he was. And we start talking about what makes our offense different. In previous games, he had pretty much lined head over head with a slot. Last night, he was more between the tackles in the middle of the field. You can't cheat to one side against our offense. And so what does that do? It gets him out of his comfort zone. It's not just about targeting a guy. It's getting defensive players outside of what they are in tune of doing. And I thought that was one of the things our offense did last night was get him away from what he is used to doing. And so last night he tackled well, had nine tackles, seven assists, did not miss a tackle. His tackling grade was phenomenal, but everywhere else – especially in the coverage. That's where he really, really had a tough time. My other guy was a quarterback, Zach Calzada. Woof. <sighs> Woof. So what did we say going in? He was a guy that was 12 of 39 when you put pressure on him. So what's the first thought that we're going to do? Blitz. We're going to blitz and put pressure. Do you know how many times we blitzed last night? I haven't looked. I would guess less than five, though. Six. Okay. We blitzed six times last night. Do you know how many pressures he had last night? Three. He was 0 for 3 in pressures last night. What did we do more than – this is what's nuts. You start looking at it. We did to him what teams have been doing to us. We now, sat back now, wait, last He night. was pressured more than three times, right? No, he was 0 for 3 on pressures. Okay, so it, it, when he, he was pressured sometimes and didn't get it off, what you're saying is during the times that he was pressured and actually got a throw off, yeah, when he, he was still over three. Right. You factor in the sacks, you talk about scrambles, you take those out as well. So he was over three when throwing the ball when being pressured last night. A and M has kind of made their hay on passes behind the line of scrimmage, screen plays. They threw one screen last night. All right, well a good point there. And why is that? Because we didn't blitz. Yes. So you, we played everything in front last night, just kind of let them come to us. And so we didn't have to put pressure on him because that guy was throwing it everywhere. What did we say? He's a fastball guy. He's got the rifle, no scope. That guy throws it so hard. And you look back to that first interception last night. You fake the dive in the, to Spiller, and you roll out to the right side, and he's got the guy 10 yards down the field, and he throws it 98 miles an hour. It carries off the receiver. We got a pick, and all of a sudden we got three points out of the gate just because it's not about where you throw it. He threw it on his back hip. But he threw it 98 miles an hour. You don't give your guy a chance. And so that's a guy with no feel at all. And what's what's so crazy about this, he's not a transfer quarterback. He's a guy that grew up in their system. I mean, Jimbo's the quarterback whisperer. All right, so may we? Let's Can go, we go down this wormhole for a minute. Let's knock because it Because Will Rogers is a younger quarterback than Zach Calzada. He has played more games, but Calzada has been in the system. And the thing that we kept hearing about, Jimbo Fisher was his ability to develop players, his ability to build the system. He came in, you got Kellen Mond, who he's kind of like their Wayne Matkin, played there 48 years and was just pretty good at times. You know what Jimbo did? I'm going to be honest with you. You know what Jimbo did? He did the same thing he did at Florida State. I'm going to hire a bunch of quote-unquote 
recruiters, and we're going to bring a different style of kid in. I'm not going down the route. I'm just saying he hired a bunch of recruiters on his staff and getting a different look. Look, Calzada's fundamentals are awful. That guy last night threw a ball off his back foot, and hey, give Jordan Rogers credit for catching it on the broadcast. His feet were parallel to the line of scrimmage off his back foot, and he had a guy wide open. He was scared to death in the pocket, and we were not even pressuring him. Think about this. We are not in the wishbone era anymore, and a Texas A&M quarterback goes 12 of 20 for 135 yards. That's, that's tough. And all right, so you can say, well, he wasn't going to be their starter. I get it. I get it. He was in the mix. In the spring, they, they were given just as many snaps to Hayes King and Zach Calzada. It's not like – Well, it's not like Hayes King was Vinny Testaverde. I mean, you know, he wasn't terribly good either. So – Vinny Testaverde? It's just the first old school slinging around kind of guy that came to mind. Jim so. Kelly? Vinny Testaverde had that kind of drop down. You know, he was like three-quarter sidearm. I was not intending to come in here this morning and hear Vinny Testaverde. I'm sorry. We might even mention Garo, your premium before we're out of here. We oh. hit all the old Buccaneers. Steve Barkowski? Yeah, Barkowski. First guy to wear a flak jacket that I remember. Or was that Pastorini? Anyway, the point of it is this. For $9 million, I expect more. Now, we hear all the time, you know, the importance of having a quarterback, and that's true. They don't have close to a quarterback right now. Not close to one. No, they don't. But, hey, Ross Ross is dealing out that money, though. And, you know, you pointed that out last night. He was already getting $7.5 million a year, and then they extend him and give him a raise. And so my question is this. Why? Where is he going? Who is going to come in and say, Jimbo, we see your $7.5 million a year for 10 years. Allow us to give you a raise. Nobody. How about Scott Woodward doing that deal? You know, he's the LSU AD right now. He did the deal, $75 million guaranteed. You know, Rossi Ross comes in here and gives him another million and a half. You're going to start making $9 million on January the 1st, 9.15 in 2023. And the people that I talked to out in College Station and in, in, in Texas, that's why last night to them they're so upset is because you got beat against Arkansas. This was supposed to be the team that was going to be right there in the college football playoff talk. We're so good everywhere. We're going we're gonna to rely on Jimbo to get us a quarterback ready. And now all of a sudden you lose to Arkansas, and now Mississippi State comes in and thumps you. And, guess and who then you, who's next? Alabama. Oof. He's 0-2 in SEC play right now. So Can't I'm, fire him. Oh, no. And I'm not suggesting that you should. They went 9-1 last year. My point is this. It is so easy to look across the field some days and think, man, I wish we had their coach. A lot of people might have been thinking that when they were 9-1 and one last year. But this guy's not perfect. And the, the other thing I wanted to pick up from the ball game yesterday, Jordan Rogers and Tom Hart kept bragging about – The bird? Well, they did talk about that bird way too much. Sorry. As, as if there were no birds in the state of Texas. But the thing they kept talking about was the playbook. It wasn't a play sheet. You know, Mike Leach is over there. looks like he scratched it out in the hotel room pad that you just find sitting beside the bed. And he's over there. I think they use the phrase uh, cheesecake factory menu. If you've got a young quarterback, and they kept talking, what was the thing they kept saying? He has a library of plays. He has a library that he just goes to and pulls the book he needs. You know who had a thick book? Sylvester Croom. And there you go. Now and then, you need a sheet. Zach Kelzada is a guy that needs like eight plays. We got eight plays. We're going to run them well. 
and that's what he needs. He's not a guy that needs to be out there just thinking. Hey, and, and two, I'm so petty. I'm so petty. I'm, I'm old enough not to be petty, but I'm petty. But I started getting those tweets last night. I saw Steve Robertson tweet out. and Different people were tweeting during the game or early in the game about how they had taken the maroon out of our logo on the video board because they wanted to be the only team that had maroon on the video board. That's that Michael Thompson hokey junk right there, that planting the flag and your loudmouth AD. With, I mean, the whole deal. I am so glad, and there's a, probably a lot of people up the road, that I'm so glad I don't have to live with that 365. But go ahead. Sorry. I am petty. Yeah, and you know what? I enjoy your Sunday pettiness. It goes well with the coffee this morning. And by the way, it is fantastic coffee this morning from Strange Brew Coffee House. They have three locations, two here in Starville, one on University Drive. They have that walk-up window, but I always like to go in. I walk in the door. Everybody says, hey, Bart. It's kind of like Norm and cheers, you know. Norm, Bart. That's what, I, that's what they do when I walk in the door. Don't walk in with me. They're not going to call your name. They're going to call mine. And I walk in. I got me a blueberry muffin this morning. I got me some blueberry cobbler. All right. I want to interrupt you for a moment because I had somebody say, Bart keeps telling me he gets blueberry cobbler. I don't, they didn't understand that you were talking about a flavored coffee. Yeah, blueberry, cof, blueberry, boo, 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 blueberry cobbler coffee. Yes. That's, that's like, the, why is he getting dessert? So I, I wanted you to clear that up. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. Blueberry cobbler coffee. Is, is what it is. It's a blueberry-flavored coffee, and it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. They also have a location in Tupelo as well, and so can't go wrong with Shane and those guys, Strange Brew Coffee House. All right, Charlie. Hey, listen, when we first started doing a show, the old Monday cool-down a couple of years ago, and I thought about this the other day, about how we used to kind of get together and talk about the five big plays that were kind of, you know, obscure plays not the play, not the scoring plays that everybody talks about. And I thought we needed to kind of revive that a little bit. The five big plays, and these five big plays are brought to you by Bank First. Bank First, locations throughout Mississippi and Alabama, and they are just blowing and going right now. I talk about John Shapley all the time down in Hattiesburg. I talk about Moat Griffin and Marcus Mallory and our good friends, Johnny Ray, Dennis Bach, so many great people that work at Bank First, and their customer service is outstanding. I talked to John Shapley just yesterday. And so whether you're looking to refinance a home, whether you're looking for a mortgage loan, whether you're looking for a commercial loan, anything you need, call them at Bank First. And these are our five big plays from the game. Charlie, did I set it up well enough to kind of let you know what we're doing? Well, the gist of this is a lot of times we all remember the touchdown passes, the turnovers, things like that. What we like to do is go find five plays that were important in the ball game, that had a significant impact on the outcome of the game, but you may not think about when you wake up this morning. And so that's the gist of this, kind of the five big plays you might have missed. So I'll get us going, Bart. Our first big play in my mind, by the way, we won the toss and deferred yesterday. That's a little bit different from us. Usually we're taking the football, but we defer and we kick off. A&M gets the football at their 25-yard line to start the game. My first big play of the game is the first play, and that is the handoff to Isaiah Spiller that results in a two-yard loss. So A&M now faces second and 12. That leads to the interception. Why are you throwing the ball right there? Because you have to, because Isaiah Spiller, it goes back to one of your numbers, keep him under four yards, 
you got a negative two on the first carry. Puts them behind the chains. It means Calzada's got to do his thing, and that's bad for everybody with the ATM on the side of their helmet. Well, and it goes back to the point, too. That's his first pass of the night. And so you're rolling him out. You think it's a high-percentage play, and that's what they're trying to look for is a high-percentage play. But you kind of wonder if Spiller gets six yards on that first carry, do they come right back to him? But he throws a 98-mile-an-hour fastball in his first play of the game. It caroms off, and then all of a sudden we're in business. And I thought, like, I agree with you, Charlie, that first stop. And it really showed A&M that, hey, we're going to make your quarterback beat us. We are going to line up, and we are going to make your quarterback beat us. So I thought, strange as it sounds, in a four-quarter ball game, the very first play was one of the five big plays in this ball game. Second big play, Texas A&M has scored. They threw that touchdown pass to Jalen Weidermeyer. They've taken a 7-3 lead. They have kicked off to Mississippi State. We're still in the first quarter. Bulldogs are sacked for a loss of one. Then they throw complete to Dylan Johnson for six yards. But now they face a third and five at their own 30-yard line. This, to me, one of the five big plays. The Bulldogs convert the third down, a 13-yard pass to Makai Polk. How different is this ball game if you've gone down 7-3? If you don't make this connection right there, you're punting it from your own 30-yard line. A&M has the lead and the football. Instead, you convert. The Bulldogs don't face another third down on that drive until they get third and two at the Texas A&M two. That's the drive we end up getting the penalty where Polk's face mask is about ripped off, throw the touchdown pass to Wally. We're going to talk about that face mask penalty. We talk about the pass to Wally. But the third down play from your own 30 that kept that drive alive, that kept you from punting, that kept A&M from getting the ball back with a lead in relatively good field position, to me is a very big play in that game. Do you know what it gives you if you don't complete that pass? It gives you your first three and out. We're three and out on that second drive. And what did A&M and what did we not do last night? We did not have a single three and out in that entire ball game. First time this year we have scored on our first two drives yeah, keeping that drive alive right there on third down when you're at your own 30-yard line, that was massive to get you down the field to get more points on the board and retake that lead. Third key play of the ball game for me, Bart, now we're in the second quarter. It's a ball game that's tied 10-10. to A&M has the football and the initiative. They have driven it to the Mississippi State 16. They go spiller for three yards down to the 13, and then they go spiller for three yards down to the 10. It is a third down and four in a tie ball game at our 10-yard line. Calzada decides that he's going to throw the football. Watson comes free. A sack of 10 yards pushes it back to the 20, forces A&M into a field goal. If you get two yards on third and four at our 10, maybe you're thinking about going for it. Look, you've been running it with success on the drive, but instead you get the sack. It takes out any decision-making A&M forced to kick the field goal. I thought the sack that took away any decision-making inside our 10 was a big play because it is a very different creature to be down 13-10 to instead of 17-10. You know, he hesitated just a little bit. And it wasn't that quote-unquote delayed blitz. He hesitated just a tad, and he was coming between the center and the left guard. And when he hesitated, the eyes of the left guard went left. 
and went to you know the guy to his left and just opened that entire seam up for him in the alley lane. And he just had unabated to the quarterback, came straight at him. And I go back to the point, it wasn't like on the snap he had his ears pinned back and he's coming after the quarterback because in that case the, the guard probably comes over and chips him or, and picks him up a little bit. But when he hesitated, guard went left and Buki went right up to him. And then Tom Hart kept on calling him Buki. It's Buki. Yes. It's Buki. Well, we also had the Moe's issue yesterday, too. Yeah, I've never gotten a burrito from Moe's. <laughs> Not that Moe's, anyway. You know, there is a Moe's, the burrito place, right? Right. I guess that's what they were thinking. They were the, thinking it was that Moe's. And Not the Moe's down the street. At, I mean, can you see taking your offensive lineman out for Mexican? They just doesn't have the same vibe as let's go eat some barbecue, does it? No. All right. So let's go now to our fourth key play, and we're going to go all the way to the fourth quarter. Things are getting tight. Mississippi State has a 24-19 lead. We're under eight minutes to play as Texas A&M has the football. They get in a Shane carry for 41 yards. Now they're in our territory. He rushes for three. They complete a pass to Anaya Smith, who we've talked about. They go incomplete. Now it's second down and 10, and here's the big play. There's six minutes, 18 seconds to go. A&M has it second down and 10 at our 18-yard line. Bill Parcells, who I love to quote, used to say that second down and 10 is a pretty good running play because now if I can get five yards, if I can get four yards when you're thinking I'm probably throwing, now at third and five, I got options. And in fact, where you are in that time of the ball game, you might be running it twice if you're A&M given the success you've had. But here's what happens. Tyrus Wheat and Randy Charlton get through. They drop a Shane for a loss of four back to the 22 that sets up a third and 14, which is an obvious passing down. See every other comment we've made about Calzada and obvious passing downs. He throws incomplete. A&M has to settle for the field goal. What led them to having to throw the football? What led them to making a field goal ultimately? But instead of a touchdown, it was that four-yard loss play on second down and 10 at our 18. Just removed all doubt and forced them into that field goal. And, hey, I like any chance you have against A&M when they got third down and 14. All right, what's your fifth and final play? My final key play comes on the ensuing possession. Texas A&M, as we mentioned, has kicked a field goal. It's 24-22. We get the football back, 5-34 to go in the ball game. We go complete to Calvin for three yards, then incomplete to Christian Ford. Pass was broken up. So here we go. The momentum is squarely with the Aggies. We've got it at our own 28-yard line. There's still four minutes and 49 seconds left to play in the game, and we've got a third down and seven. It feels like this is the spot where we could take a sack, where we could throw short and have to punt the football, and A&M will have all kinds of time and good field position. But Will Rogers able to find Austin Williams for 14 yards, gets it out to the 42-yard line, and you say, well, we don't go on to score. We don't go on to move it. In fact, we don't pick up another first down. I hear you, but here's what we did. We took the clock instead of punting at about 440, where that play was at the end of the third and seven. We take it down, and we don't have to punt the football until 236. It bought us two minutes of time when time was precious. That one completion. And in addition to that, by the time we had to punt, we had better field position, 
So A&M gets the football at their own 11, two and a half minutes to go, instead of getting the ball out around the 20 or 30 with four minutes. And for A&M, with four minutes to go in a game, down by two, they're essentially a running football team. It's Absolutely. Com- it completely changes the way they attack. They get the football at the 11 with two and a half minutes to go, they got to start throwing the football. If they get it back at the 20, 25-yard line with four and a half minutes to go, we're going to see a steady diet of Isaiah Spiller. They are going to try to methodically get that ball into field goal position with a utilization of the run. It just changes everything about how they play it. That is a huge play of running two more minutes off the clock. So many times we talk about the importance of first downs, and it doesn't always have to end in a touchdown. Sometimes it's just about field position and clock. I thought that play, there is no safety without that play. It, the, the game is completely different. And you say, well, our offense didn't get it done. They had to punt the football, but they did. They did. They gave you what you needed right there. So, to me, those, the five big plays that weren't scoring plays, weren't turnovers, but really impacted the outcome. And once again, we look back at our three big numbers. That one was from Friday on our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Tracks Plus, four locations, Hickory, Columbus, and Startville on Highway 82 between Startville and Columbus. And then you've got Summit, Mississippi, and Alexandria, Louisiana. The Barco equipment with the forestry industry. you got the Saney equipment if you're looking for an excavator. They've got a lot of, a ton, a ton of used equipment. They're one of the largest used equipment dealers in the Deep South. And so Tracks Plus. And once again, this has been our Sunday coffee. We thoroughly enjoyed. Appreciate all the great feedback. Sunday coffee brought to you by Strange Brew Coffee House, Bank First, Tracks Plus. And, of course, we're in the Farm Bureau Studios in downtown Startville. And once again, thanks to our great friends at the Mississippi Beef Council. Beef, it's what's for dinner. And so, Charlie, hey, over the next week, we're going to have a Wednesday show like we normally have. With it being the week off, we will not have a Tracks Plus Deep Dig nor Sunday Coffee next week. You and I are going to be dispatched. Parts unknown. Parts unknown next weekend. And so you've got the Wednesday show, that's it, and then we'll come back for the following Wednesday. So nothing next weekend from us with it being the weekend off. And so, once again, big win yesterday. Before we go, I I do have to say I want to have one quick conversation with you. Okay. The importance of the open date. That comes at a good time, doesn't it? And a lot of times you start to say, we need an open date because we got to get healthy. We need an open date because, you know, we got to regroup, all these type things. We need some extra time to scheme. Here's why we need an open date. We need a week to be winners. We need a two-week period for these guys to understand that they were capable of performing when they had to. Look. We nearly blew this thing, right? <laughs> we we were in a position to put this thing away. We go holding, questionable call. But then a couple of illegal procedure penalties. It looked like winning time that we've talked about was going to be too big for this team. But we made a play when we had to. We ultimately got it done. I think it is so important for this team to have a little extra time. Instead of coming back like A&M has to and facing Alabama in seven days, how great is it that we get a little bit of time to poke our chest out, to feel good about ourselves, and to have known that we could get it done? I guess it goes back to the thing that was so frustrating last week, and we were sitting here just seven days ago, is because we felt like we had a game that we could have won against LSU. You know, you're kind of that same game 
yesterday and last night against a team that's very similar, a team that you can lose to and a team that you can beat. And last night we were able to pull it off. Last night we were able to overcome. We didn't make as many. We didn't make many mistakes last night, but we were good enough to overcome mistakes last night. That was the big thing. The other thans we didn't have many other thans last night. They didn't have huge plays against our defense. We had some penalties, and it seems like we bunched them all together right there before that field goal. But we played well within ourselves, and I think that's what makes it so fun is we won a game last night on the road in winning time in the fourth quarter. And there's still going to be bumps in the road, but it goes back to if you were one of the people who thinks that this has been a team that needed to fix a lot of little things but could be a good football team, I think yesterday is what you wanted to see. Yesterday is the day you wanted to see your team throwing it down the field, doing all these things, and even though you made mistakes, you could win. I think maybe not only the team needed it, maybe as fans, we kind of need this week just to be happy that we're winners. No doubt. Well, going to be happy about it. Dogs win at 26-22. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Sunday Coffee.